You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported. Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting remotely for WFHB, this is Cade Young. And I'm Sydney Foreman. This is the WFHB Local News for July 10th, 2020. I think if you were to walk and see it today and you didn't know that Black Lives Matter wasn't a part of that, then you wouldn't know any difference. Later in the program, you will hear from City Councilman Jim Sims on the Black Lives Matter mural overlay in People's Park. Also, you will hear the City Arts Commission discuss future plans for the mural. Also, you will hear about the black market firebombing in 1968 by members of the Ku Klux Klan. Today, the site stands as People's Park where a mural was overlaid with the words Black Lives Matter. But first, your local headlines. On Wednesday, Governor Holcomb responded to a question about the DNR officer's conduct at the 4th of July racial assault at Lake Monroe. Our correspondent Aaron Comforty filed this report. In a press conference in Indianapolis on Wednesday, Governor Eric Holcomb was asked to comment on the video of the racist attack on Vox Booker at Lake Monroe. He described it as beyond disturbing and said that it was important that the DNR complete their investigation and hand it over to the Monroe County prosecutor. Holcomb added, From everything that I've reviewed, the DNR has always and continues to act absolutely appropriately per protocol. Notably, Holcomb's assessment of the responding DNR officer's conduct was at odds with Vox Booker's assessment of the officer's conduct. In a Facebook post, Vox used the word outrage to describe how he felt about it. He wrote, DNR refused to arrest any of these individuals, even with multiple witnesses. Several of them filmed the event and corroborated our accounts. Instead, the officer stated that they contacted the prosecutor's office who relayed there was no immediate need to arrest anyone and that the officers would simply file a report. For now, the internal DNR investigation apparently remains active and has not yet been handed over to the Monroe County prosecutor. For WFHB, I'm Aaron Comforti. Police released the hit-and-run passenger who cleared the way for a car attack on protesters in Bloomington. Officers questioned the passenger but did not arrest him. That's according to a press release from the Bloomington Police Department. The department did not publish the man's identity. In videos taken at the scene of the hit and run, the man is seen getting out of the passenger side of the car. He then threw an electric scooter off to the side that protesters placed in the middle of the street as a makeshift barricade. The passenger slammed the door shut as he got back in the car, and moments later, the driver rammed through the protest. Recent developments in the car attack have brought to light that Christy Bennett, the driver in the car attack on protesters in Bloomington, has a criminal record with 12 entries that includes multiple charges of stalking while armed with a deadly weapon and intimidation. Bennett's record in relation to her $500 bond has caused some activists, like No Space for Hate, to question the appropriateness of the bond amount. The Monroe County Commissioners discussed an interlocal memorandum of understanding with Ellettsville. K-12 
County Attorney Dave Schilling said the MOU was regarding building inspections during their July 8th meeting. For a number of years, uh, Monroe County has been providing building code services to Ellettsville uh, through an interlocal agreement that's virtually identical to the one through which we provide building code services to the city. Uh, recently, Ellettsville decided to establish their own building department and would like to uh, assume all building uh, code services on a phased uh, plan. And so they have proposed a new interlocal agreement to the county, and that is before you today. Schilling said the agreement is for a one-year period. He said Monroe County Building Development would continue to perform Class 1 inspections of non-residential buildings. However, he said Ellisville would have a building inspector present during the inspections. Uh, Ellisville would receive all the uh, building permit applications and then convey the Class 1 applications to the county. Uh, the town would establish a permit fee. Uh, and the county would not be allowed to add any additional fees to that fee structure. Uh, the town would reimburse the county an amount equal to 50% of the permit fees received for each class one structure uh, uh, performed for the inspections performed by the county uh, up to the amount of $10,000. Schilling said the county building department has some concerns. He said the county would rather receive Class 1 building applications. It's easier for the county staff to review an application, to make sure it's complete, and to communicate uh, with the applicant to obtain any additional information necessary when the application is filed, rather than having an intermediary. We think that it's more efficient and uh, better serves the public to have that done directly by the county. Schilling said the county department would rather the county determine service fees than the town of Ellettsville and obtain entire service fees. He said the county is willing to have an Ellettsville inspector. The county is certainly willing to have the town's building inspector uh, join it in uh, the inspection of, of Class 1 buildings until that uh, the town building inspector uh, becomes experienced in those types of inspections. However, uh, it would have to be done in a way that uh, is convenient for the county inspectors uh, so that it doesn't interfere or hold up their scheduled inspections. Commissioner Julie Thomas requested the Ellettsville inspectors training validation to ensure the safety and quality of inspection. Commissioners continued the MOU until a later meeting. Indiana saw 748 new positive cases and nine new deaths from novel coronavirus. That brings the state total to more than 50,000 positive cases and 2,555 deaths. The state issued 550,000 total tests. 9.1% of total tests came back positive. Brown County reported 43 positive cases of COVID-19 since testing began in March. One resident has died in the county since the virus began. As of Friday, the county reported one new positive case. 583 total tests were issued in Brown County. The Ellettsville Plan Commission approved a Starbucks development off of State Road 46 during their July 9th meeting. Director of Planning Services Kevin Talati said the drive through lane would hold up to 15 vehicles. He said new trees will be planted. He said the developer, Monon Retail Holdings, is out of Indianapolis. 
Engineer Trent Baxter described the development. So this is a 2,202-square-foot Starbucks, and it'll have an outside patio uh, for people to sit. Um, also, we've, we've got about 22 seats inside, about 12 seats outside. Um, so it should be a good project. Um, I think we're, with, as far as stacking goes, we, we have nine from the window to the entrance to the drive-through, and I think we can put a lot more if we wrap them around. So I don't think stacking is going to be an issue before it gets out to Tupelo. Um, other than that, yeah, I think we've, we've pretty much met everything that's required. Baxter said the construction would be complete 180 days after the permit was granted. Today, July 10th, Gallery Walk will hold a virtual artist panel. The first Friday Gallery Walks were put on hold in March of this year due to concerns of COVID-19. Today at 5 p.m., the organization will hold a virtual art and activism panel discussion via Gallery Walk Facebook page. A mix of artists and activists will, quote, discuss how art, in all of its different forms, plays a role in our society and the world, end quote. The panel will include local artists Nefertiti Morris, Taryn J.D., and Aaron Ezzy Underwood. Enough is Enough Bloomington said it raised over $8,000 to support the Banneker Center in a Facebook post on Thursday. The group said, quote, One of the goals when our group was founded was to find ways to ease funds to support our community centers, businesses, and other organizations that will amplify the voices of our black and brown communities, end quote. Enough is Enough Bloomington said there is still work to be done. It encouraged residents to visit the group's website at enoughbtown.com. YDSA Bloomington said it will host a demonstration at People's Park on Friday at 6 p.m. The demonstration is meant to demand the arrest of Vox Booker's attackers. Over 50 years ago, People's Park was the site of the Black Market, which was firebombed by the Ku Klux Klan. Today, the mural in the park is overlaid with the words, Black Lives Matter. In today's feature report, you will hear from City Councilman Jim Sims, in excerpts from the July 8th City Arts Commission meeting. You will also hear reporting from the state archives to revive the story of the black market. The mural in People's Park was anonymously overlaid with the words Black Lives Matter on Friday, June 19th, 2020. The City of Bloomington Arts Commission met on July 8th during a public meeting to decide whether or not it will keep the Black Lives Matter lettering. Defund BPD was spray-painted in the upper right corner of the mural, but the message has since been painted over. The Bloomington Police Department said this is an act of vandalism and they are investigating the matter. However, Bloomington Councilman Jim Sims said no opposition has been raised from the community, the artist, or the property owners. So the first thing is that if the owner were to file a complaint, then that now turns into basically a criminal matter. So that's normally what happens when we have a graffiti artist does something on buildings or across another artwork, um, then it's considered a criminal activity. In this particular case, um, which I was very, very happy to hear and I happen to agree with it, is that the owners, along with the artists, didn't have an issue with Black Lives Matter being painted across it. 
Um, and I will add this, and when I've looked at it, it's not like um, regular graffiti we see around the city that's, you know, uh, it's graffiti, but it's kind of haphazard and it kind of marks over stuff. This, on the other hand, I thought was painted rather nicely and it almost blends into the mural that's already there. I think if you were to walk and see it today and you didn't know that Black Lives Matter wasn't a part of that um, a month and a half ago or whenever, then you wouldn't know any difference. Meanwhile, the city said it planned to commission a new mural later this summer. Designs for the new mural are yet to be announced. During the Public Arts Commission meeting, Assistant Director of the Arts Sean Starowitz said there are no plans for covering the lettering so close to the commission of a new mural. Art Commission member Nick Blanford mentioned that the mural, especially at its current location, can have more purpose than just aesthetic imagery. The balance that we want to strike is, um, you know, uh, having having a a piece of artwork that is appropriate to the site, you know, that isn't isn't just sort of like overly overly commercial, overly disposable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it it doesn't need to be. Uh, a visit Bloomington advertisement, you know, um, at, mm-hmm. at, at all times. And I think that, um, you know, I think the balance to strike is, you know, art can challenge people. Um, it can, um, it can make people uncomfortable, but, you know, should we stop short of making, you know, of, of it, you know, yeah, we want to avoid something that is full on incendiary, um, and going to, you know, specifically and, you know, entice, a lot of volatile reactions. You know, I think, yeah, we'll have to, we'll have to find that balance and that balance, you know, the property owners are going to be part of that conversation. In December of 1968, the current People's Park site was the scene of a hate crime. Only a few months earlier, in fall of 1968, the site opened as a local business called the Black Market, which sold books, clothing, records, artwork, and other crafts made by black artists. The shop was owned by a man named Clarence Rollo Turner. According to Indiana University Archives, Turner was an IU graduate student and wanted to create a gathering space and cultural center uniquely for people of color. He was the co-founder of the Afro-Afro-American Students Association, or the AAASA. Jim Sims, city councilman and previous president of the Monroe County chapter of the NAACP, is working with multiple local groups to designate the area with an Indiana historical marker. Sims spoke about what the black market brought to the city of Bloomington. But it was like an off-campus facility, I think, or market or building that was frequented by African-American students. And of course, it became the black market which, you know, so music is my understanding, um, hair products, um, you know, the sort of thing that years and years ago, uh, black people couldn't so much get at uh, regular retail stores out in the city in many cases. But yeah, hangout, um, uh, political people, you know, a comfortable place where you could speak with others, you know, like yourselves and shared some of the same life experiences and, and, and dealing with some of the same societal issues. That same year, local chapters of the Ku Klux Klan were growing. In the spring of 68, the KKK tried to establish a chapter in Monroe County, Indiana, and the opening of the store stirred controversy in the community. 
Turner reported receiving threatening calls, and soon later, Turner's business was firebombed on December 26, 1968, by members of the Ku Klux Klan. According to Indiana University archives, eyewitnesses reported seeing a white male throw a burning container through the window and driving away. These men were local Klansmen Carlisle Briscoe Jr. and Jackie Kinzer. The black market was the only targeted downtown business. According to a Herald Times story in 2013, Carlisle Briscoe Jr. was convicted in 1986 for firebombing the black market. He was the son of a local police officer and was notorious for setting fires around town and even known to throw rocks into HT crime reporters' homes. The article recorded Briscoe saying, quote, he could not find anyone competent to represent him as he wanted, end quote, so he represented himself. Briscoe spent two and a half years at the Indiana State Prison. However, his conviction was overturned and he was released in October of 1979. Briscoe then moved to Nebraska, where he was again arrested in 2012 for possession of a firearm by a prohibited person. Upon arrest, found in his home were several weapons, a large amount of ammunition, a bulletproof vest, Nazi propaganda, and memorabilia. While in prison at the Nebraska State Penitentiary, at age 71, Briscoe died one year into his three-year sentence. Back in 1968, two weeks after the firebombing of the black market, there was a student-led demonstration of at least 200 people outside the burnt remains of the black market. According to state archives, Rollo Turner said, quote, The only reason this store was bombed was because it was a black store. End quote. According to state archives, in February of 1970, members of the Youth International Party, nicknamed Yippies, came up with the idea to create a People's Park on the vacant lot where the black market was firebombed. People's Parks were starting to sprout at the time, modeling after People's Park in Berkeley, California. These parks were normally not sanctioned by government or legal authority. Instead, activists gathered in the common place to, quote, promote free speech, activism, and community involvement, end quote. Local yippies started on the project by the spring of 1970. State archives said the park was intended to be a gathering space, community garden, and a place for everyone to, quote, sing, dance, rap, and generally do his own thing, end quote. There were some complications with bypassing city authority to put up the park. State archives said the city of Bloomington threatened to shut it down due to public health concerns. The property owner, Larry Canada, reportedly had plans for the property. However, he deeded the land to the city in 1976. Since then, the Bloomington People's Park has been the site of protest, music festivals, and flea markets. Today, the park lives on, with a mural entitled You Belong Here, designed by local artist Eva Roffling Allen, on the side of what is now Bicycle Garage, Inc. However, in the midst of current events, recharging the civil rights movement, the words Black Lives Matter were painted over the mural. But being on the Bicycle Garage's wall, Starowitz said the future mural is ultimately up to them. The wall is owned by Bicycle Garage. We don't own the wall. We, we have provided mural opportunities, but it's ultimately Bicycle Garage's say on what goes in terms of if the partnership will be continued, uh, if there's another mural. It's ultimately their wall, their property, right, that faces the park. 
Um, that is one potential scary thing about us being involved in public-private partnerships always, which is the property owner can, we can go through this process, commission work, um, but that's why we have shifted to doing the open call process. So we can say, we're selecting these two artists, we're gonna pay them to refine their ideas then we can also include the property owner in that conversation so that we don't get down one track and then have to, um, and we, we're, we're not in the business of censorship. You know, we're always gonna represent the artists. Um, and that's what I try to do as a staffer is represent the artist's intentions with these public-private partnerships. Starowitz mentioned there have been concerns of making a statement with a mural celebrating black culture, but not working towards reforming equity issues. He said the Arts Commission is actively working to create a more inclusive and diverse environment for artists. Councilman Jim Sims said the painted edition complements the historical importance of the area. I, I think it is from a, a current societal issues that we're dealing with now, I think it's rather appropriate. Um, but the significance that it conveys, in particularly how it sits there with the historical black market, um, with future plans of a historical marker commemorating that event, um, things feel right, if that makes sense. In that particular case and in that scenario, I think it brings community awareness. I think there's people who may ask some of the significance and thus become educated on, um, you know, some of the plight of, of black students back in 68, you know, how they had to deal with some of the racism and uh, other race issues. And I would be fine if there was any way that the mural could stay up there along with the Black Lives Matter edition. Um, and pretty soon it'd be just part of the fabric of downtown and the People's Park area. In the meantime, the Bloomington City Arts Commission will work with the property owners and the community to commission an appropriate mural for People's Park. Starowitz mentioned mural themes have been suggested by the community to commemorate the history of Bloomington's people of color. To consider would be History of People's Park, the Black Market, with a link to that various website. Civil Rights History in Bloomington, celebrating individuals like George and Vitaly Farrow, the Second Street Baptist Church and its architect Samuel Plateau. Uh, Neil Marshall Black Cultural Center, Indigenous History and Continued Existence and Representation in the Region, Black, Indigenous, and People of Color Joy. Like, that's just, that's not finalized language by any means. But those are kind of some of the frameworks that could be included um, just in the conversations that I've been having with community members and other artists and art communities around this kind of process. According to their current contract for the existing You Belong Here mural, the Bloomington Arts Commission could begin repainting the mural on August 31, 2020. Starowitz said the new mural contract could last anywhere from a three- to five-year period. And now, we have an excerpt from this week's episode of Big Talk, where host Michael Glab revisits a 2018 interview with Vox Booker. Following the news this week that activist Vox Booker was allegedly assaulted and battered by white men shouting racial insults, and threatening to get a noose for him, the child with a speech impediment who grew up to be an articulate voice for the oppressed has appeared in news media reports around the world. Right now, he symbolizes the potentially explosive state of race relations in America. As Booker himself lamented after the incident, I didn't want to become another hashtag. Who is Vox Booker? He appeared on Big Talk in the fall of 2018. 
We've re-edited that show to present a portrait of the person as opposed to the symbol or the hashtag. Let's begin with Vox's first connections to Bloomington's Black Lives Matter chapter. He no longer serves in any official capacity with BLM. Here's Vox. It's a complicated story. So I joined Black Lives Matter about two years ago, and it was simply a Facebook group here in Bloomington. Mm -hmm. And after being in the group for uh, a little while, I noticed that there didn't seem to be any black people. What? what? <laughs> so I, uh, I posted a, a comment, uh, is there any black leadership in this? And uh, the moderator at the time uh, responded that they didn't have any black leadership, but they had asked in the past if they could get some black leaders. From there, I said, well, I would be willing to take the position, uh, but I would like for you to ask someone else first or, or make a post asking for some type of leadership. Uh, and if no one else steps up, then I'll take that duty. Do you consider Bloomington a, a diverse community? Do I consider Bloomington a diverse community? No. I would like to say yes, but in, in truth, we we have less than than 5% black population. Yeah. Uh, most of the diversity that we have comes from the, the university. Um I'm born in Columbus, so, you know, when we talk about diversity, Columbus is a much more diverse city, Columbus, Indiana. Uh-huh. Uh, and I think that the city has progressed in a lot of ways for that diversity. I would like to see Bloomington move in that direction. I come from Chicago, where it's, uh, in terms of white and black, it's, a, it's just about at 50-50 now. And so when I came here, I said... Wow. <laughs> yeah, we're not exactly Chi-Town. Yeah, yeah. Or Louisville, which is another of my towns, another of your towns. It is, indeed. What did you do in uh, Louisville? Louisville. Uh, I lived there for about two years. During that time, I was a security supervisor for the Nottabon Hospital. So you've been around these parts. Uh, as you say, you were born in Columbus, mm -hmm. Indiana, I also uh, noticed that there's some Seymour involved. Uh, how did that come about? My family has been in Seymour for about 160 years. Ah. So we predate the community. It's given me uh, a large base in Indiana to kind of consider home, this whole Bloomington area, Columbus, yeah. Seymour. It's all kind of home to me. And it's given me a, a deep sense of community and commitment. Are you very familiar with your family history that far back? Absolutely. You are. So what did the the Bookers? Well, that or was part of it, yes. Part of it? Yes. What did this family that came together to produce you, what is a little bit of their history? So, as I understand it, I had a great-great-grandfather who fought in the Civil War. Huh. He had came from Louisiana uh, after he... Uh, finished the Civil War. He went to Oberlin College in Ohio. It was Oberlin a, College? Yeah, it was uh, one of the, the first colleges that uh, educated Negroes. Yeah. And from there, he met that grandmother. Uh, they moved to Seymour, Indiana, and our family is still there. Do you know why? He was a freedman, I, I assume. Was, so, is that what you would call him? So he was born free. Ah. Being from Louisiana, 
uh, they had a three-tiered society uh-huh. where you had you had whites, you had landowning free blacks, and you had slaves. Uh-huh. He was a, a light-skinned Creole guy who fit into that middle caste. How'd you find all this out? We, uh, we care about our family, so we, we take the time to preserve the history. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by Aaron Comforti, Cade Young, and Sydney Foreman in partnership with CATS, Community Access Television Services. Our feature was produced by Sydney Foreman and myself. Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. Our executive producer is Cade Young. For WFHB, I'm Sydney Foreman. And I'm Cade Young. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent local news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast as well as other WFHB news programming online at WFHB.org. You too can be a part of our award-winning news team. For more information about joining our volunteer team of citizen journalists, email news at WFHB.org. Stay tuned for KiteLine, a program amplifying the voices of those within Indiana's prison system. Coming up next on WFHB Community Radio. WFHB Local News on WFHB Community Radio. Our news is written and reported by volunteers working to provide local news, cover local issues, and strengthen our local community. We invite you to participate. You may submit questions, comments, and story ideas to news at WFHB.org. You can become a WFHB Local News Volunteer by attending new volunteer orientation. Feel free to check out the WFHB Local News Archive at WFHB.org to find newscasts, individual stories, and catch a live feed of the WFHB Local News. We are local, longer, 